All right, good morning, everybody. Mike Courtney here, Mass Mutual Eastern Pennsylvania. A beautiful, we had a little snowfall this morning, overnight, beautiful Wednesday morning, uh, March 1st, 2023. Can't believe it's, can't really call this spring yet, but we're getting there. Uh, joined, as always, by my good buddy and counterpart, Steve Parisi with IBC. Steve, how are you today? Fantastic, my friend. How about yourself? Good. Still got your run in this morning. A little bit. You guys must have had a little bit of snow as well. Yeah, we did have um, it's probably four to six inches. It, it was a decent amount, which was kind of nice oh, wow. be, because we haven't gotten too much uh, all winter. So that was that was nice. But uh, yes, I still got my run in like unless it's covered in ice. I still try to make it outside. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, today we want to talk about we're going to continue a conversation that Steve and I have been having about financial underwriting. Um, this is an area where uh, I feel like, you know, I've really made my bones over the years, medical underwriting, totally different animal, but, uh, you know, really important for advisors, especially if you are so focused on uh, permanent life insurance, cash accumulation, life insurance vehicles, uh, important for you to really understand what the company and what the underwriters are are looking at, which which a lot of times is very different things, maybe than you may have talked to the client about or what your plan is, right, Steve? So, yeah. you know, this is something something that uh, everybody needs a little education on, and um, there's some steps that you can take up front before and while you are completing an application that I promise you will save a lot of headaches down the road. Yeah, it's so important too, especially if you're an agent when it comes to financial underwriting, because often what happens is you're selling a whole selling a whole life insurance policy, your client's interested in maximum cash value, they want to pay a lot of money into the product. Underwriting is going to ask questions, especially if especially if they see a large premium coming in relative to that individual's income and assets. They're going to look at things that, especially if you're a new agent. You wouldn't think to look at because naturally we think, hey, this person wants to give money to the insurance company. They'd be glad to accept it, which right. doesn't quite work like that. There's limits to yeah. be aware of with premium affordability and such, which uh, I guess what we can really hit on today is having awareness on what those limits are and then also having the proper awareness to present an application correctly up front is so important because if you don't do it, boy, is it a headache. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, to get the right kind of mindset, um, look, it's a it might be a little bit of a shift for someone who's listening to this, who gets just so uber focused on, you know, availability of dollars and what kind of premium and what the growth is, the cash value growth is going to look like over time. I think what you need to understand is long term with permanent life insurance, we're looking for or the underwriter is looking to approve something where the death benefit justifies the need. So what do the client's assets look like? What does the client's income look like? What is the client's age? And therefore, how can we project asset and or income growth yeah. down the line where someone may not have a very large net worth right now as a 35-year-old, but they make $400,000 a year. And it's expected that when that person is 65 or 70 years old, that they're going to have accumulated a significant amount of assets and have more of a larger need 
for life insurance at that time, maybe than they do when they're in their younger, younger working years. But you really have to take the time to, to craft that story. And it's important that you think of it as a story. It's not a fabrication, but it's a real strong summary and synopsis of the facts and the projections that we're making for the future. Yeah, and you summarized that nicely. I mean, when you present information to underwriting, one, the application, that's always being submitted. But if there's additional information that if you're sitting next to an underwriter and you can say, hey, this person makes X amount of dollars, but during our conversation, they disclose that they're going to receive an income increase or they're moving from residency to a physician. So they're going to have a huge income bump. I want to know that. Yeah. And if you don't disclose it, do it up front, up front, up front with the application, because the more information you give them, the smoother that process will, will be. Um, and then also having awareness on the limits, which we can talk about different ways underwriters calculate how much death benefit you can be approved for, whether it's based on income, whether it's based on assets, whatever it might be, because that information, like if you miss something or if you leave it out, that's where an underwriter can tell you no or limit the case. If you come back and say, oh, I forgot this. Well, then you're going to have a situation where the underwriter might ask, all right, we want proof. Please ask the client for documentation. Documentation could be tax returns, pay stubs, whatever it might be. And that's not your best moment having to go back and ask the client for more information now to, pro to provide to underwriting. It's not fun. So if you can get that up front and know when you're going to have to get that for larger cases, then you can set expectations properly for the client. And that's, that's one of the most important things. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, going back to what I was saying before about like a mindset shift, I think, you know, again, we're so on some of these cases, we're so focused on yeah. cash accumulation. But keep in mind, you're selling a permanent life insurance plan. I mean, if this thing operates the way that you are illustrating it, and if things happen in the way that we expect them to happen, then this is going to be a policy that the client is going to have for the rest of their life, yeah. that they're going to fund in a certain manner that also could be flexible. And that their family, their beneficiaries eventually are going to use that death benefit when the insured passes away. And sometimes I think it's hard to see all that when you're so focused on a small piece of that on a 40-year-old. Yeah. But I think it's important to keep in mind when you're first going into underwriting, because this is a life insurance policy, there's going to be benefits to that policy outside of maybe what the client's primary desired benefit is today. Yeah. So I, I do know what you mean, and I can give you an example and we can kind of talk through it, like cases we work with. Please. And yeah, how a client will view it, what we want to do, and then how we have to present it to underwriting to make sure everything goes goes smoothly. So take the 40-year-old male you mentioned. Say you've got a four-year-old individual. Let's assume he makes $150,000 per year. He's got a $1.5 million net worth that can include his primary residence. That is net worth, right? Assets, liabilities, net amount is 1.5. So he's got $500,000 liquid right? In cash accounts, checking savings, money markets. This is common what we'll run into. His income is $150,000 per year. We engage with him. He says, I want a policy and I want to move this $500,000 I have liquid 
into a whole life insurance product. This is just excess cash. I've got an emergency fund as well. This is money that I was thinking about putting it toward bonds. I want to put into a whole life insurance policy and I want maximum cash value. So from a design perspective, what I'm going to do is say, all right, let's take that 100K per, or that 500K and move it into a policy over for a 40 year old male, three to five years. Let's say it's five years at 100K per year, simple. Okay, so cash value is gonna be fantastic. However, underwriting is going to look at what? Income's 100, yeah, correct, death benefit, and my mind's going toward the premium guidelines. If his, sure. income, if his income is 150K, and they see an application 100K per year going in, that's gonna throw up a red flag and say, okay, what's going on here? We need more information. Any questions on any of that or things you wanna insert? Uh, no, I'll wait to get further along. Okay, so in a case like that, when we submit that application, I'm not gonna submit it with 100K per year for five years. Um, well, depending on the company I might, if it's mass, we would have to from a, a design perspective. But let's say we submit it, uh, I'll go through two companies here. Let's say we submit it with Guardian. That'll be fairly simple because we would submit it with a $10,000 minimum premium requirement and he can add additional funds into his unscheduled PUA, another 90K per year for a total of 100 per year for five years. So underwriting is going to say, okay, income is 150, premium is 10K, that's the scheduled amount he'll be billed for each year. And then I, we will disclose his assets and liabilities. I do want to make them aware of the fact that he's got 500 grand just liquid in cash. Because what happens, we run into this with Guardian, if someone starts making large unscheduled PUAs that are large relative to their income, they will look at it after the fact. And sometimes they do reach out to us and say, hey, can you tell us more about this client? Based on our research, this seems a bit high based on what he's paying into the policy and then what we what have. What could they do if they don't? like mm -hmm. your answers they request documentation right w-2s tax returns bank statements they want proof um sometimes the elite legal department has reached out really they're looking for money laundering is what's going on okay yeah but my point is if you're up front with everything on the application then you prevent any potential issue like that right because that's not your best moment either but back to the app we're submitting it with a 10k per year premium ability to add up to a total of 100, but we're disclosing here's his assets, liabilities, net worth of 1.5. And I really wanna emphasize the point or make sure everyone's aware he's got 500 grand in the bank, right? Just sitting there right now. And maybe I'll add the fact that he's accumulated that over time and it's still building. So it's not just gonna stay at 500. So Guardian's easy because underwriting is going to look at 150K in income and a scheduled premium of 10K, like that's, that's no issue at all. Right. Questions on that? No, I'm. Cool. I was just going to say that um, that kind of scenario, uh, you know, underwriters preach to us people like me all day long about cover letters yeah. that go in with an application. And you know, for any advisors who are listening to this, you know, a cover letter can be a four sentence email. You know, it, it, you don't have to go crazy with. Um, with the cover letters, but that summary that you just gave, that needs to be spelled out up front and separate from the application with an email, something, you know, all these companies now have even electronically ways that you can submit cover letters in detail because I, and I would take that, we, the last thing you said was important, but I would take that a step further. Someone who's 40 years old, 
who makes $150,000 a year and has a $1.5 million net worth, I'm pretty comfortable assigning, um, you know, cost of living adjustments to the income over time. I'm going to say that his assets are going to grow over the next 25 to 30 years until he's in retirement. So to buy a permanent life insurance policy today, to lock in insurability today, yeah, I do think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know what that death benefit might have looked like for a case like that with either Guardian or Mass, yeah. but it, I, I would expect that that type of person is justified that they're looking at a four or five or six million dollar life insurance policy because that's what their net worth, you know, is going to end up surpassing that. Yeah. You have to spell all that out. And it's important to break down of assets. It's important to know what his investable assets are. It's important to know that that $500,000 was accumulated over a period of time. And it's an account that he's still dumping money into at, you know, X rate. Um, right. Just because it paints a picture for, you know, what's going on. And it also provides the, the, the accurate appearance that, you know, you did all the pre-underwriting. You asked all the questions. This is a solid plan. This isn't a, you know, you didn't get your hands around a bag of cash and you're trying to throw it at them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, on the topic of, the, of a cover letter, if that same client says, hey, I prefer Mass Mutual, we're likely going to draft a cover letter. And the main reason why is because of the, the fact that his income is 150 and he wants to pay 100K per year in. Even though it's coming from his bank account, that needs to be spelled out for underwriting because Definitely. the PUA riders function different with Mass and Guardian. So what I would do in a case like that is what you had mentioned, but specifically state that this policy is set up where the client wants to put in 100K per year for five years. Here's the illustration showing it. Submit that with the application. How, how he's funding it is the first five years he's got liquid funds in the bank. So it's not going to impact his income. I will add the fact that he will continue to build that savings up because that's where he's been putting money. So it's not completely draining everything he he has in savings. It's coming in over five years. I will definitely add that point. But then what I'll also add is the fact that the actual policy design has a base premium of $10,000. And then we've got other riders attached. And why I'll add that, and I'll spell it out like this, is or how I'll spell it out is the client has a base premium of 10K, additional riders that are very flexible. So in the event that he cannot pay the $100,000, it's not all base premium. We can easily scale it down to 10K or 20K. We designed it to be very flexible in the event that the client says, hey, I dedicated my funds elsewhere. We don't think that it'll happen, but I want to make sure that underwriting has that awareness so they don't feel like the client is committed to this $100,000 bill every single year. Like, no, 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 we didn't do it that way. It's very, very flexible here. And that that has helped us in the past, particularly with Mass Mutual, because again, how they view scheduled rider payments with their PUAs is as a premium payment because it's billed the same time as base. So from the agent and even the client's perspective, we think, wait a minute, that's flexible. Like I could just pull back on, on the PUA payment. You can, however, when submitting with underwriting, know that they're going to view that PUA payment as a scheduled premium. So we've got to take that into consideration when providing information up front and also look at the affordability guidelines. Right. 
Yeah. What kind of death benefit does that case look like? Yeah. So it would depend on the product and the guaranteed rate. Um, if if I'm just funding 100K per year for five years and a 40-year-old male, I'll need a little bit more than $2 million in net death benefit for a 100K MEC limit. Um, and that's with a, a product, the 3% guaranteed rate. Okay. Yeah. 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 If he wants so, to go, you know, and and from from an underwriting perspective, I like that because it's not, um, it's certainly not big enough of a death benefit to cause any underwriting disturbance, but it's also permanent and increasing death benefit, which makes a lot of sense in a case like that. Yeah. You got somebody that that's an earner, he's a saver, and he's going to need death benefit that grows with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. When you get the big death benefit cases. That's where I think you do need to be creative or just be aware of different different calculations that can be used to calculate the total death benefit you can be approved for upfront. Because the easiest one is just your, your income multiplier. If I'm 40, I can get 20 to 25X of whatever my income is today in total death benefit. All right, so at 150, yeah, what are you at? 3 million there or so. Um, depends on the, what multiple you're using. But there's an estate planning calculation which if someone has a large amount of right, assets. Like somebody, what you just said though, the 40-year-old the with $150,000 income, if the if the multiplier was 20 times and yeah. that's 3 million, that guy with the $1.5 million net worth, is, he can get more than $3 million of life insurance for sure. With, right. And without a lot, of, a lot of fuss because there are other calculations and there's other uh, other kind of ways to figure that out. Yeah, when you look at an estate planning calculation, how that can be factored in, it's a little bit more complex, but we've used it for individuals that have substantial assets or business owners where their business valuation might be fairly high, uh, but they don't have a whole lot of liquidity right now. Usually it's a case where I will be very liquid in six to 12 months, just right now, and I'm taking the policy out, I don't. I'm like, that's okay. We can use the estate planning calculation here, and that will, we've been successful here in getting more death benefit which is good for estate planning in that case. That's usually how it's bundled in. And in addition to that, where it helps is if someone knows they're going to have a lot of money in the future and they want to be able to slug it into a policy, that higher death benefit is going to give us more mech space. So now we can continue to maximize the cash value further with an existing policy if it's several years down the road, not have to start all over the new one, go through the, through the expenses again. So going back to the design and cash accumulation, cash accumulation side, which often excites the agent and the client, you will get that benefit too, which is nice. Do you find that your clients understand a lot of this? Um, so some of them, some yeah. of the ones that really want to understand how it works, but- Well, the ones that really want to understand how it works, want to understand how everything works, right? Correct. If you've got right. someone, you know, analytical engineer, right. which I love talking about it. So we'll go into detail. But I'll say this, we had a couple cases recently where the death benefit need was very, very high. Um, one case, right, these two individuals were looking at $2 million per year to fund policies with, and one individual needed a total of, I believe it was $35 million in death benefit, and the other was $23 million. So, I mean, that's over $50 million in total coverage. Right. So- they owned businesses, they had the cash to do it, but what they paid themselves in income 
didn't justify the need for enough death benefit based on the income multiplier. However, based on their assets and net worth, it's like, all right, they qualify for this, no problem. So we use the estate planning calculation, presented that to underwriting, and said, yeah, no problem at all. Approved. It wasn't even questioned. Um, so to answer your question, in a case like that, do we always go through that with the client? Do they understand it? Like, no. Those clients <laughs> during a meeting with that amount of death benefit said, we don't really care about the death benefit. Now, later, later on, they said, hey, we do want more death benefit for key man purposes. So it worked out. But initially, like, we don't care about the high cash value. Those death benefits were based on MEC limit calculations. That's right. how we came up okay. with it. Got so it. we knew what to say to underwriting and say, hey, here's what we're doing from a death benefit standpoint to get the needed amount of coverage. And then we said, OK, clients, you're approved for this death benefit because all they want to know is, can we get what we want? Are we approved? All right, let's do yeah. that. And then everything else fell in line. Right. Yeah. Fun well, stuff. listen, if anybody has any questions about financial underwriting in general or anything that we talked about today, this is a battle that Steve and I fight <laughs> on a daily basis. And uh, it's something that we've always had a lot of fun with. Um, so feel free to reach out to me or Steve at any time if you want to review any of these items. And Steve, hope you have a great rest of the week and we'll be seeing everybody soon. You too. Thanks so much, Mike. Enjoy. Thank you guys.